You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. We'll open up your Bibles to James chapter 4. This is our sixth week in our study of James. Uh, And today we're going to find out as we look at uh, 10 verses in James chapter 10, uh, James chapter 4, there is no James chapter 10, James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10, that um, as James uh, continues on, Once again, he challenges us. He's been challenging us with his words every week. But today, we're going to find that not only does he challenge us, but he uses some what I would call sternly strong words that are a bit parental in nature. Think about that. bit parental in nature. Um, Every year, uh, an award is given to honor an individual for their work in... um, uh, making peace between countries, uh, 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 you know, helping to alleviate standing armies, or uh, their uh, creation of peace organizations. This award was uh, first established in, ni- in 1895 by Alfred Nobel, and of course it's called the Nobel Peace Prize. And you might be thinking, what in the world does the Nobel Peace Prize have to do with a study in the book of James? Well, what we're going to find today as we look at the 10 verses in chapter 4, that um, had the Nobel Peace Prize existed when James wrote his letter, based on what he writes uh, in these, these 10 verses, uh, he could have very likely been a candidate to receive the Nobel Peace Prize because what he does is he shows us how to move from conflict into a state of peace. That's pretty good, right? Moving from conflict into a state of peace. Um, Last week, uh, when we looked at chapter 3, we didn't actually look at the last verses uh, of chapter 3. In those verses, James deals with or or does a comparison between two kinds of wisdom, earthly wisdom and and heavenly wisdom. Had we have uh, taken a look at those verses last week, Today, as we transition into chapter 4, we would notice that there is a, a, a definite change in the tone uh, that, that he uses. Um, in the latter part of chapter 3, uh, he, um, there were, uh, it was very descriptive in nature and there were no commands. He, he didn't give any commands. But yet, as we begin to watch and listen, read today, as we transition into chapter 4, we're going to find that there's a dramatic change in the style. Uh, imagine James, uh, as he's writing, imagine as we're listening that he's rolling up his sleeve as he prepares to, in a fatherly way, use that stern, strong language with his target audience, which were the Jewish believers that had been dispersed. But what's important is that we would also see James rolling up his sleeves as he's going to talk to us with those same strong, stern words, and he's doing it because he cares. Um, In other words, what he wrote then, we have to be reminded that it applies to us today. I said uh, his words are a bit parental in nature. How many parents are in the room? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Can you put your hands down? God bless you all. God bless us all. Um, Can you remember a time, uh, maybe for some of you, say it was this morning before church. Can you remember a time uh, where your kids... Um, just decided they want to declare all-out war in your house between each other. And, and so you're sitting in your family room, and you hear from upstairs in the bedrooms, you hear yelling and screaming, and you hear what you think is slapping or punching. 
name calling, and, and, and you're listening, you just think, surely this is going to stop any moment. And it just goes on and on, and it gets louder, and it gets louder, and it gets louder, and you finally decide you are fed up, and you're going to do something about it. So you stand up, you go closer, they can hear, and in your loud, strong, stern, fatherly voice, you say, stop it now. Enough is enough. Get over yourself. Get over whatever's going on. I want this racket to stop now. Has that ever happened? Yeah, yeah. I think for all of us it has. I remember one particular time we were living in California, and our boys, Adam and Zach, were were younger. I don't know how old they were. No, I think they were younger than that on this particular instance. <laughs> and um, they, were, uh, they, were, uh, they were just going at it. We were in our living room, and they were just going at it. They had declared all-out war on each other. And they kept on, and they kept on, and they kept on, until finally I got up from my seat. I walked over. I put my hands on their shoulders. I walked them over to the French doors that went out onto the patio. I opened it up, and I pushed them out, and I said, duke it out now. Do whatever it takes. Get over it. Finish this fight. And it's, it's so funny because they were out on the patio and they're just like, what, what, are, what are we supposed to do? Well, it worked because the, the, the noise stopped. Listen, it's obvious that as we read James' word today in this passage that there is some conflict in the ranks of the Jewish believers. And James wants to see them move from conflict to peace So he ratches up the intensity. Remember, for us, this entire series has been about how we live out our faith and what true faith looks out. So one of the things that we have to realize is that living out our faith does not casually happen. It's a work and process that uh, requires that we continually submit to the Holy Spirit because we can't do it in ourselves. Transformation doesn't happen well when we just I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. But when we submit to the Holy Spirit, and one of the things that's required in, in working out our faith is that we have to be willing to confront points and places of conflict in our lives. How many conflict avoiders are in the room? Raise your hand if you're a conflict avoider. Thank you for being honest. Would you agree? Would it be fair for me to say that all of us in this room have had or are having or will have conflict in our lives. Would that be fair for me to say? Yes. Yeah. Um, I want you to just for a moment think about the last conflict that you had with someone. The last time you were at odds at someone, again, some of you might say, well, that happened this morning before church. Uh, Maybe uh, identify the last time or maybe identify a conflict that you were involved in with someone now. I I want you to just stop. I'm just going to have a moment of silence and I want you to identify that. I want you to think about it for a minute, even if it's painful. (laughs) So now that you've identified it, Trust me, there's no need to answer this question out loud because we, we may not want to hear what you have to say, actually. Uh, it might be a little bit more personal, but uh, what was the reason for the conflict? In, in yourself, answer. What, what was the reason? What was the reason for that conflict? I wonder, when we're asked that question or we're in the midst of conflict and the question is asked, how often is it easier for us to when we have to try to identify the source of the conflict, it's much easier to point to someone or something else. It's because of what they did. It's because of what they said. 
I think it's, I think it's easy. I think that that's kind of a natural default. Um, uh, full disclosure, uh, Cammie and I have been married 37 years. It's been 37 great years. And um, I confess to you that in those 37 years, there have been times where there's been conflict in our marriage. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, she said yesterday. <laughs> and you would think, oh, but you're the pastor and the wife. You're perfect. You Listen, trust me, we've had conflict in those, in those 37 years of marriage. Um, when there's conflict, um, it will cause us to have discussions. You know, discussions. You know, discussions is just a passive way to say we were arguing. So, in the 37 years of our marriage, we we have argued on multiple occasions, and and often what happens, and typically Cammie's the one to be brave enough to ask ask the question. In the midst of that argument, she will go, "Why are?" She's mouthing it with me. She knows what I'm going to say. Why are we fighting right now? Why are we arguing? This doesn't make sense. What is this all about? Has that happened for anyone else? Yeah. So I have to, full disclosure, confess, she typically is the one who will ask the question, and I am typically the one who can blame it on someone or something else, even her. Because that's, that's my natural default. I don't want to I don't want to take responsibility. And certainly I'm not the only one like that, right? Is that kind of a natural default? We, uh, we, rather than looking inside, we want to blame it on, on someone or some, something else. Well, what we're going to see today is that James does an excellent job at clearing up any misunderstandings that we might have about conflict. Uh, in the first six verses uh, uh, that we're going to read today, in no uncertain terms, he identifies the sources of conflict, and he doesn't leave us hanging there. In the last four verses, uh, verses 7 through 10, he offers us uh, the solution to conflict. So we're going to step into the passage and see what he has to say. So follow along as I read, uh, beginning in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. And I'll, again, I'll read six verses. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. I told you this is strong language. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture said says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So right out of the bat, true, right out of the gate, true to fashion, true to form, from everything we've seen over the past uh, several weeks, past five weeks, he, he asks a question. He begins with a question. And it's not just one question, but it's, it, it, it's a double header. Um, and his first question is, uh, it's the same kind of question that Cammie asked me. Why is there conflict? 
Why is there conflict right now? Why? Why are you at odds with each other? He's addressing his audience, but we have to ask ourselves the same question. And then he doesn't allow time really for that question to be answered because then he fires away and and he asks a, a second question that gives answer to it. He says, don't they come from the desires that battle in who? In you. Don't they come from the desires that battle in you? So he's asking, why are you at odds? Why, are, why is there conflict among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle inside of you? So immediately, James identifies the first major source of, of conflicts. It's the challenge of self. He kills all of our effort to blame someone or something else for the conflict. And he makes it clear that the conflict is not an external battle. It's not because someone said, someone did, but it's an internal battle. His words, they're, they're challenging us because in essence he's saying, if there's conflict, you are the source of the conflict. In other words, he's saying the conflict is rooted in your heart. The conflict is a heart issue. And those may be hard words to swallow. How dare James blame conflict on us? Doesn't he know that things that people do to us and things that people say to us? But he says, no, it's about something going on. He's saying, if there's conflict, it's your fault. It's your fault. And then he says, it's because of the desires that are at war in your heart. That word desires is often translated as passions. In other words, the desire, the passion that's battling in you is, is a strong desire for something more or something better. You're battling inside for something that you haven't been able to find. It's actually sometimes translated as lust. And typically when we think of lust, we think of it in a sexual manner. But lust is nothing more than strong misplaced desire. So he's hitting us hard. He's saying, if there's conflict going on, it's inside of you, and it's because of the, the, the desires, the passions that are battling inside of you. So he identifies very clearly this battle inside is the battle of self. And then in verses 2 and 3, he reveals three Three what I would call realities of this challenge with self, this battle with self. And first, he calls out self-centeredness. Did you notice how many times the word you appears in verses 2 and 3? He says, um, you desire, you don't have, so you kill, you covet, you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. He's calling out the self-centered nature. And like it or not, all of us are prone to that self-centered nature because in reality, we were born with it. It's called the sin nature. Now, if we've come to relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we're new creations. And so we have a new nature in us. But how many of us, we all realize that that old nature is always at bay, always there, always wanting to make its way back in. It's a constant battle. And 
when this battle of self is going on inside, when we don't get our way, when we don't get what we want, there's a conflict going on inside of us, and that conflict is going to bubble out and it's going to spill over to other people. But it's because of what was going on in our heart, because of our passions, our desires. And then in verse 2, he says, you don't have... Because you don't ask. And here's what he's calling out there. He's calling out self-sufficiency. You see, far too often we erroneously believe that I need to prove myself. I need to prove that I've got what it takes. I need to prove how strong I am. If I ask, it means that I'm weak. Instead, we think, uh, we say, I can handle this. I'm not weak. I can handle this. But the problem is, is when we say I can handle this, in reality, what we're saying is I can handle this. So, God, I don't need you. I am self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency leaves God out of the equation. And when we leave God out of the equation, it contributes to the conflict that's going on inside of us. And that conflict, once again, it's going to bubble out. It's going to fall out. It's going to shoot out. It's going to shoot on. It's going to be somewhere. The conflict is going to show up somewhere. Also in verse 3, he calls out, excuse me, self-consumption. He says, when you do ask, your motives are wrong. Because you're asking to consume, hoping that what you're asking for, what you consume, will satisfy those desires and those passions inside of you. It's like we're saying... God, I have a hole inside, and I know I think what will fill it up, and I'm asking you, in fact, God, I'm telling you, you need to fill this up so that I can be satisfied. God, you, you owe it to me. That's the battle of self. battle of self, primary focus of self is me. The battle of self says, I choose self over God. Listen, we can't pursue God and at the same time, Pursue self. We can't pursue God and at the same time choose to go our own self-centered way and do our own thing. Following God requires death to the battle of self. It means we have to die to self. Jesus affirmed that in Luke 9, 23-24. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So really, what James is dealing with, and and really what Jesus addressed, it's, it's, it's wrong motives. He's dealing with a challenge of wrong motives. Wrong motives are a setup for conflict. Wrong motives, when, when, when we're amiss inside, and when there's a battle of self raging inside, our motives get out of alignment. We have these desires, these passions, these lusts that we're longing for to fill some kind of void that we feel. We choose not to fill it with God. And so uh, conflict, because of the conflict that's going on inside of us, that conflict rises up and goes out. And in verses 4 and 6, he deal, uh, identifies two other sources of conflict. The first of these two is unfaithfulness. Remember, he used strong words. Uh, He said, you adulterous people. You adulterous people. He's not talking about 
uh, adultery as in marriage. Um, uh, he's not talking about unfaithfulness in marriage. Instead, he's talking about when we're unfaithful to God. He's talking about spiritual adultery. God's desire for every single one of us is that we would live in deep, loving union, deep, loving relationship with him. Spiritual adultery is when we choose not to enter into that deep, loving union with him. And we, uh, we become dissatisfied with God. And we develop this growing sense inside of us that there must be something more than God is offering. And, and that happens because there's conflict. There's conflict going on inside of us. Spiritual adultery occurs when we're torn between loyalties. Particularly two loyalties. We have to determine where are my loyalties going to lie? Are my loyalties going to be given towards the culture, the fads, the trends, the beliefs, the, the, the way the world thinks? Or are my loyalties going to be in alignment with God? How are we going to align ourselves and so when there's this um, tension inside of us and, and, and our, our loyalties maybe even are divided, it's spiritual adultery. And the challenge of spiritual adultery is it puts us in conflict with our affections. And when there's a... Listen, I think we all know this. When you're, when you're confused in your confections on the inside and you're in turmoil because you don't know what you want or you're trying to figure it out, and there's conflict going on inside, I think we're all, we, we would admit that conflict, that conflict pours out onto the people around us in some way. It always does. He identifies one more reality in the uh, battle of self, and it's, uh, I'm sorry, the, the final source of conflict that he identifies is pride. The challenge with pride is that it puts us in conflict with God himself. Again, God wants us to live in deep, intimate, loving relationship with him. He wants us to practice his living in his presence. He wants us to be constantly in union with him. And according to James, the Holy Spirit watches over us with tender, divine jealousy. God is jealous for us, but it's, it, it's a different kind of jealousy than the green monster that's inside of us. This is a divine, holy jealousy that the holy God, the creator of the universe, is longing for this relationship with us. And James says, in his grace, God has provided all that we need to overcome all of the forces all around us. He's given us all that we need to overcome these forces that are pleading for our loyalties, that are trying to distract us from God. God wants us to be in relationship with him, but our pride opposes the relationship that God desires. Pride says, I'm not going to die to self. I'm, I'm not going to do it because dying to self requires humility. And pride says, I don't want anything to do with humility. That's my enemy. That's the opposite. So self, according to James, has it all backwards. 
God shows favor to those who live in humility, but he opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. So what James is helping us understand is conflict isn't about someone or something else. Conflict is a result of the battle that's going on inside of us. It's about the struggles of our own unfaithfulness, and it's about our pride. These, these are the culprits. But thankfully, as I said earlier, James doesn't leave us hanging there. And so I just want to quickly, as we're ending, I want to just walk us through the solution. Let me read verses 7 through 10. He says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. In those four verses, he says, submit yourself to God. If you want to move from conflict into this state of peace, submit yourself to God. In other words, stop submitting to yourself. Be willing to die to self so that you can come into alignment with God. You see, that's really what life is all about. We're, 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 we've committed our, our lives to him, and we have to submit our lives to him. And submitting to him means that we would be willing to die to self and that we would understand that he's given us principles and concepts to live by and that we would say, this is how I choose to live my life. I'm going to come into alignment with you, God. Then he says, resist the devil. Um, resisting the devil on our own strength and in our own power never works. It's not about willpower. It's not about the little train that thought, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That never works. That never works. But when we submit ourselves to God, when we come into alignment with God, then the power of the Holy Spirit is released in us And we have this power, this ability to say, no, I know where that comes from. I understand that lie. I understand the deceit. I know what God says. And so, no, I'm resisting. I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to fall for your, your ploys. He directs us to come near to God through repentance and passionate pursuit. In other words, James is directing us to recognize and grieve over our sin. I I asked myself this question this this past week as I was preparing this. Do I grieve over sin? Or do I take it too lightly? When's the last time I really grieved over sin? Let me ask you this question. When's the last time you grieved over your sin? You were cut to the heart. Because you knew that you had disobeyed God. That's what James is calling us to, to to grieve over our sin, to recognize what's going on inside of us. So if conflict is because of the battle that's raging inside of us, then we have to recognize what's the sin that's causing all of that going on inside of us. And then we say, God, I recognize it. I am so sorry. And I offer it to you. Would you cleanse me? Would you purify me? And then finally, he offers us a solution to conflict, choosing to live with humility. We have to be willing to look into our own heart rather than defaulting the blame of conflict to other people. Let me make it clear. I'm not saying that 
other people don't contribute to conflict. That, that's not really, and that's not what James is saying. But let's face it. If you're in conflict, you may be able to identify something the other person did, but you are powerless to do anything about that. You are powerless to change them, right? You, you, you can't do it. There's nothing you can do to make them change. You can't work on their heart for them. But whose heart can you work on? Our own. I can take a look inside. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to me the conflicts that are going on. The parts of self. The desires that are battling inside of me. And I can offer those to God. I do my part in the battle. I do my part in the struggle, in the conflict. Because I am the only one that I have power over. And I don't even have power. I have to give myself to God. It's a heart matter. If you find yourself in conflict, or when you find yourself in conflict, regardless of what the external contributors were, it takes two to be in conflict. And it's very possible that somebody can say something to trigger something in you. You know what you need to ask? Oh, wait, what was that all about? What did that trigger inside of me? Because it triggered something that when it came out, it wasn't good. It wasn't right. Would you bow your heads? Earlier, I asked you to identify um, a conflict that you may have had, or particularly right now, uh, uh, maybe identify a conflict that you're in. Would you take a moment um, to look inside? Look inside your heart. But as you're doing that, would you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you any conflict that's going on inside of you? Desires, passion, unfaithfulness, spiritual adultery, battle of self, the battle of pride, a right to be right. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you? And as he's revealing, would you take responsibility? Would you own it? And after you own it, then would you say to God, God, I'm sorry. I confess that this is true. And I want to give it to you. Cleanse me. Purify me. Heal me. Then would you say, God, I choose to come into alignment with you. I choose humility over pride. I choose you over self. Because what you're doing right now as you do this is you're dying to self. Father, would you work this in all of us right now? Would you work this in each and every one of us? Help us to deal with this heart matter by the work of your Spirit. I pray that this would be a point of transformation today.
thank you for the work you're doing right now. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. That question that I ask every week, and I'm committed to ask, is there anybody here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus? You've never really stopped to consider your own sin. Uh, The fact that that sin has caused you to be disconnected from God, maybe run from Him. But today you're willing to uh, recognize it and offer it to Him and ask for forgiveness because you believe that Jesus died in your place on the cross. And you believe that through the price that was paid through His blood, you can have forgiveness, freedom from shame and guilt, and you can have eternal life. Is there anybody here today? You just say, that's me. If so, would you just raise your hand? Say, that's me today. I want to make a decision. Change my life. Thank you, God. Thank you for the work you're doing right now. Would you stand? Let me just pray a final blessing over you. Father God, I pray over everyone in this room your greatest blessing this week uh, and that as we experience you we would continually align ourselves with you and that we would be salt and light in the world around us and that we would live in your presence Uh, as we go out into this world we, we just say we are yours and we pray this in Jesus name and everybody said Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.